for the worship song. We're here to praise and worship our Lord. So because it is the season, I will begin with this greeting. Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas. I love Christmas time, you know, all the, all the gifts that we get and the trees and the tinsel and, and all those things. Uh, kids, you know, what, what did you get for Christmas? What? what? It, it, it's not Christmas? And we, we just, we, we had the, the reading from Luke chapter 2, right? And they, that's always Christmas time. You know, we have this idea that, that Christmas is, is what we've heard, what we've learned from our Christmas pageants, right? Sunday school. Now, this is how it usually goes, isn't it? Uh, we, ha- we have a large crowd. All the parents are here. And we have the kids in front. And, and we have the, the shepherds. They've come to worship the Christ child. And they're wearing their, their little bathrobes because that's, after all, what shepherds wear. And we have the, the little children, uh, the angels, and they have cardboard wings because, after all, angels have cardboard wings, don't they? And we, we have the little, the little feed trough made, made out of wood because that's, of course, what, what Jesus was born in. And, and then we have the little plastic doll because Jesus isn't real. He's just a plastic doll, right? Am I wrong? Of course. Thank you. So, what's the whole point? Well, these next six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a new look at a familiar story or familiar stories, the life of Christ, beginning with today, his birth in Bethlehem, as the Bible tells us. But we're going to look at it, I hope, from an entirely different angle, looking at it through the lens of the Old Testament and through the Jewish culture. Because after all, uh, Jesus was not a white American. <laughs> he was a Jew. And if you see the picture in my office, you'll see uh, that he doesn't probably look like the way that we have always depicted him. Now, as we look through the culture and the lens of the Old Testament, what I'm hoping is, is not that you'll relearn everything because the story remains the same, but that your understanding of the Word of God will be enhanced. So we're going to look at the rock, which is Jesus, the foundation of our life and salvation, the road, which is the Holy Lands, looking back at what happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem and Nazareth and Capernaum and Jerusalem and all those other places, and the rabbi, which is not me being your teacher, but the Word of God itself. So let's go ahead to the beginning and the big idea. The big idea over these six weeks is that all of Scripture is meant to point to Jesus in some way. Now, it's obvious when we look at Luke chapter 2, the gospel message points directly to the birth of Jesus. But you can look at any part of Scripture. And if you are a good enough detective, looking at all of the clues, you can piece any part of Scripture together and see how it always points to Jesus. So let me give, just give you a little example this morning. The first Hebrew letter, not in English, but the first letter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew letter is B or bait. Looks like bet, but it is bait. From the word bereshith in the beginning. And the last word of the Bible is amen, which we've said a number of times already this morning in our prayers. It means truth or certainty. So when you say a prayer, what do you end with? 
Amen. God, I am certain that you have heard me. Lord, I know that your word is truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are asking God to, to hear your prayer and do the very best with it, being certain that he is the true God to whom you're praying. And it ends, that word ends with the letter N, or in Hebrew, nun. So, B and N, in the original Hebrew, there were no vowels written, so you have to supply them. Now, if you were a Jewish parent and you were going to give your child, probably your son, a name, and you wanted to include a vowel and you had B at the beginning and N at the end, what would you call him? Ben. Very good. Ben. How many, do we have any Bens here, by the way, any Bens? All right, we have a Ben. All right, object lesson. Very good. I love this. Do you know what your name means in Hebrew? Very, oh my gosh, you, come on up here, tell me. <laughs> exactly right. Benjamin is son of my right hand. It means son, but do you know the story behind it? Rachel and Jacob, remember Rachel and Jacob from the Old Testament? Jacob has 12 sons. Ben, or Benjamin, is number 12. Rachel is his favorite wife. Well, another whole story completely, but anyways, his favorite wife. So far they have Joseph, and they haven't had any other children in between, no sons, and now comes Benjamin. But unfortunately, Rachel is old, and she dies in childbirth. Everybody said, oh, that's sad. So sad that Rachel names her son Ben-Ani. Not Benjamin, but Ben-Ani, which is son of my pain or son of my trouble. I could have named all three of my sons that, but I didn't. We have different names there, different story. But now you, here's Jacob. He's an old man. He's got 12 boys. And his favorite wife is now dead. He doesn't want to look at Ben here every time he sees him and say, oh, my wife, she died giving birth to you. That's so sad, right? So he renames you Ben Amin, Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my strength. It's why we do the benediction and all the blessings with our right hand, Pastor James, Mr. Left-Handed Guy over here, because the right hand is the sign of strength and vitality. Son of my right hand. Well, I digress. Son. From the very first letter of the Bible to the very last letter of the Bible, everything points to the Son, the Son of God. As John wrote, all of this was written, and not just his gospel, but all of this was written so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, and by believing in him, you will have life in his name. That's the whole point of Scripture. And I want you to look at it in a little different light over these next six weeks, and then from there on afterward, to look for the clues and the signs that always point to the Son. So let's go back to the beginning, or really before the beginning. But you, Bethlehem, this is the birthplace of Christ. Ephrathah. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Ephrathah is fruitful. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the land of Ruth. Remember the Moabitess and 
the birthplace of David himself. Though you're small among the clans of Judah, very tiny out of you will come from me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years this prophecy has been there for the people of Israel, giving them hope that one day there would be a successor to the greatest king of all, which is David. And he will not only be a mighty warrior, but he will be the Messiah, the anointed one. So Bethlehem is important, not for its size. It's only got about 100 people at the time of Christ. Even today, it's a village of about 25,000, so about half the size of Crystal Lake. But it's important because it's the birthplace of the greatest king, King David, and it will be the birthplace of the Messiah, the one who is to come. Now, fast forward again from the Old Testament to Christmas. Whether it's in September or December or whenever it might be, there are these shepherds, and they are keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appears to them and says, Behold, this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, they know, a Savior is born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. What's the sign? A baby wrapped in claws and born in a manger. Now, if you're a, det a detective, what kind of questions will you ask? If you're one of those shepherds, how are you to know where to find the king? There's all kinds of babies that are going to be born because, remember, Caesar Augustus and all his wisdom, in other words, he wanted more taxes from his people, said, everybody go back to your place of origin so I know how many people I have, so I know what kind of money I should expect. Bethlehem, because it is the town of David, is now filled with all kinds of people. If you're the shepherd, how do you know where to go? Well, first of all, these are not ordinary shepherds. They are what we might call Levitical or priestly shepherds. You see, in those days, there was the sacrifice. Earlier in our service, we made confession and what did you confess? That you're a sinner. Whom did you sin against? What did you say in the confession? Well, there's my family. You know, I say some things there I shouldn't do. There are my friends. You know, I don't always treat them the way that I ought to. Even strangers and passers-by. And, of course, God himself. Now, what was the penalty? What was the penalty this morning? Were any of you struck down dead, by the way? No? No lightning that came from the sky? Why? Because someone has already atoned for our sin. They've paid the price. We know, of course, that that is Jesus who went to the cross for each one of us. But if you are living in the Old Testament, you are only looking forward to what is to come. So how do you know that your sins are forgiven? Well, today we had the sign of the cross, and you were told by the pastor that your sins were atoned for. But back then, you had to look to an animal who would be killed on your behalf. Blood had to be shed. And so these lambs, these sacrificial lambs, they were raised by the shepherds where? 
near Jerusalem, out in these fields, and these were the shepherds who were raising those sheep and taking care of them. They were raising the very sacrificial lamb that would pay the price of blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. They knew the prophecy. They knew that there would one day be one who would give his blood on behalf of all the people. So the significance then, not only of the shepherds, but the place is extraordinary because this is about six miles from Jerusalem where those lambs would shed their blood. And these shepherds knew exactly where this baby is going to be born because that is exactly where their lambs were born. Almost certainly not in a stable behind the Holiday Inn. Sorry to burst your bubble there but in a cave. In fact, if you go to Bethlehem today, there is a church, the Church of the Nativity, built over the exact spot where people think Jesus was born. Because the guy would always tell us when we were there, if not here, then near. <laughs> Very close. Maybe another cave. And you have to go down these stairs and into this little grotto see the place where Jesus might have been born. These shepherds knew the location because their lambs had been born in the same place. Now we know from the prophecy that Jesus is to be wrapped in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth. Now today we still swaddle babies, right? When, when my boys were growing up, we called it the burrito. Do you still do that? Wrap them up like a little burrito, right? You do that to keep them warm and snuggly. They feel safe that way. Well, in those days, the shepherds did that for the lambs because when they're born, they're not very coordinated. And unlike little human babies that take a year or so to walk, they can walk almost immediately. And if they weren't protected because they're in a cave, they would injure themselves on the sharp rock. And it was only a perfect, unblemished, spotless male lamb of one year that could be used in the Passover. And to make sure that they would have enough lambs, because there's going to be about 250,000 of them at Passover, they would swaddle them to keep them protected. And not only that, they would salt the baby. How many of you uh, parents salt your babies today? Anybody do that? Salt? Pepper? No? Well, in those days, the little baby lambs and the little baby humans would be salted to kill the bacteria that might be on their body that might cause an infection, especially if they had an open wound. And so almost certainly Joseph took salt water and washed little baby Jesus right there after he was born to wash off everything there, the blood and all the rest and then wrapped him in those swaddling clothes and laid him there in the manger in that feed trough, probably made of stone in a cave. And these shepherds knew exactly what it meant because they knew that every sacrifice needed to include salt. From the book of Leviticus, every offering 
the Lord said, should be accompanied by salt. It is a covenant, God said, between me and you. Now, we're, we're kind of familiar with that. We, we do little covenants, certainly as, as children. Does anybody still do the pinky swear? Pinky swear, right? Yeah, that was the thing, right? It meant that you are going to tell the truth and you're going to be loyal to that. Now, my brother and I, when we were growing up, we took that a little further because we watched a lot of the, the old westerns. Remember in the old westerns what the Native Americans did? If you were going to be a blood brother, what would you do? You would, what, cut your hand or your wrist, right? You're going to put them together, right? So you'd rub your hands together or maybe your wrists together. Well, my twin brother and I did that. Now, I would not recommend this at home. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't the smartest thing that we ever did. We've not been accused of being real intelligent. Anyways, we were, we were already twins. We were already brothers. Why did we need to be blood brothers? I still don't know why. I'm sure it was my brother's idea. Anyway, so, but we understand covenant, promise of loyalty and faithfulness. And God had made a salt covenant with David in the book of 2 Chronicles. And he said that the kingship will be from your line forever. And here is this covenant that will prove to you my loyalty. Now I ask you, did that actually come true? Do you remember the story of the Old Testament? Good King David, but his descendants were not so faithful, were they? And because they went and worshipped idols and they no longer believed in the true God, God punished them. And the northern kingdom was taken into exile by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And there was despair and discouragement throughout the entire land. And now at the time of the birth of Jesus, the people are looking for that king, for the Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a great king, and he's going to overthrow the Romans. And Caesar Augustus, who was a pagan, who believed that he was God. And this King Herod, he's not really a king at all. He's not even a Jew. He's an Idumean. He's a descendant of Esau, not Jacob. Shepherd knew the prophecy. And when the angel appeared to them <laughs> and said, it's today, right now, in the city of David, just like Micah said, the Messiah, fulfilling the salt covenant of David, is going to be an even greater king. And not only that, he will be your shepherd the one that you can follow because the amen, his truth, is certain. And he will lead you to the Father. In fact, he will become the sacrifice. He is the lamb without spot or blemish, no sin whatsoever. And you're never going to have to sacrifice animals again because he is the Passover lamb. And his blood will not only atone for your sin but mine and for the sins of every generation in every nation throughout the world. It's no wonder 
that when these shepherds went to the place where they knew that the Savior was born, that they went and told everyone what they had heard and seen concerning this child. Because they knew the prophet. I know it's not December 24th or 25th. I don't know. Jesus might have been born on September the 10th. But whenever he was, Jesus was the beginning of that story that God had told so many centuries before. And that story continues to live out in you and me, the people of God, 2,000 years later. Won't you be a shepherd? Won't you share the good news? just like those shepherds did so long ago. For we have seen all the signs, and we know the prophecies, and we know they are true. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise, since we've already said the words of the Apostles' Creed as our profession today.